0: Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Can I read it to you? Instead of from ESV, can I read it to you from the New Living Translation? Simply because it's got all those cubits in the text today. And sometimes when you read about, all right, 30 cubits, 5 cubits, 10 cubits, you go, what is a cubit? So let me read it to you from the New Living Translation today. It was in mid in the month of Ziv. During the fourth year of Solomon's reign, that he began to construct the temple of the Lord. All right, so four years in. So four years into Solomon. So the the construction of the temple didn't begin as immediately as David died. Four years in. That he began to construct, he began to construct the temple of the Lord. This is 480 years after the people of Israel were rescued from their slavery in Egypt. So, all right, we have 480 years. So let's call it 440 years within the land. And there'd been no temple. Now, this is why we talk to you about Shiloh so much. Shiloh is where Eli was and where the tabernacle was built. And for over 300 years in Shiloh, that's where the temple of God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. The temple that Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide. Now you see why I don't want to do the cubits. 45 feet high. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. And it projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple. Solomon also made a narrow recessed windows throughout the temple. He built a complex of rooms against the outer walls of the temple, all the way around the sides and rear of the building. So if the temple looks like this, then he built a complex of rooms around the outside of the temple like this. The complex was three stories high, the bottom floor being seven and a half feet wide, And the second floor nine feet wide and the top floor ten and a half feet wide the rooms were connected to the walls of the temple by beams resting on ledges built out from the wall so the beams were not inserted into the walls themselves the stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry so there was no sound of hammer or axe or any other iron tool on the building site the entrance to the bottom floor was on the south side of the temple And there were winding stairs going up to the second floor, and another flight of stairs between the second and the third floors. After completing the temple structure, Solomon put in a ceiling made of cedar beams and planks. As already stated, he built a complex of rooms along the sides of the building, attached to the temple walls by cedar timbers. Each story of the complex was seven and a half feet high. Then the Lord gave this message to Solomon, concerning this temple, you are building You are building. So during construction, this was spoken. If you keep all my decrees and regulations and obey all my commands, I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites, and I will never abandon the people of Israel. Now notice, this is one of those if. This is one of those if promises. We call these conditional promises. So Solomon finished the building of the temple. The entire inside from floor to ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the walls and ceilings with cedar and he used planks of cypress for the floors. He partitioned off the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, at the far end of the temple. It was 30 feet deep and was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. The main room of the temple outside the most holy place was 60 feet long. Cedar paneling completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple and the paneling was decorated with carvings of gourds and open flowers. He prepared the inner sanctuary at the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold. And he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the Most Holy Place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the Most Holy Place. He made two cherubim of wild olive wood, 15 feet tall, and placed them in the inner sanctuary. The wingspan of each of the cherubim was 15 feet, each wing being seven and a half feet tall. The two cherubim were identical in shape and size. Each was 15 feet tall. He placed them... Side by side in the inner sanctuary of the temple, their outstretched wings reached from wall to wall while their inner wings touched at the center of the room. He overlaid the two cherubim with gold. He decorated all the walls of the inner sanctuary in the main room with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid the floor in both rooms with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made double doors of wild olive wood with five-sided doorposts. These double doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. The doors, including the decorations of the cherubim and palm trees, were overlaid with gold. Then he made four-sided doorposts of wild olive wood for the entrance to the temple. These were two folding doors of cypress wood, and each door was hinged to fold back against itself. These doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, all overlaid evenly with gold. The walls of the inner courtyard were built so that there was one layer of cedar beams between every three layers of finished stone. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in the mid-spring in the month of Ziv during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. The entire building was completed in every detail by mid-autumn in the month of Bull during the 11th year of his reign. So it took seven years to build the temple. A seven-year construction project. Now, I want to pause here and just let you look. We're going to put up on the screen for you a picture. This is done by the Rittermeyers folks and Rose Publications. I want to show you a picture, a cross-section. We do this during... Uh, the school of the cross every year, but we didn't get to do that this year. So let me show you a cross section of Solomon's temple so that you can see the beauty of it on the inside. I want you to notice how everything is overlaid with gold. This would have been the most beautiful thing you have ever seen in your entire life. All right, let's continue. Chapter seven, verse one. Solomon also built a palace for himself and it took him 13 years to complete the construction. Wow. So his palace took 13 and God's house took seven. One of Solomon's buildings was called the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. And there were four rows of cedar pillars and great cedar beams rested on the pillars. The hall had a cedar roof. Above the beams on the pillars were 45 side rooms arranged in three tiers of 15 each. On each end of the long hall were three rows of windows facing each other. All the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames and were arranged in sets of three facing each other. Solomon also built the Hall of Pillars, which was 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. There was a porch in front, along with a canopy supported by pillars. Solomon also built the throne room, known as the Hall of Justice, where he sat to hear legal matters. It was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. Solomon's living quarters surrounded a courtyard behind this hall and they were constructed in the same way. He also built similar living quarters for Pharaoh's daughter whom he married. From foundation to eaves all these buildings were built with huge blocks of high quality stone cut with saws and trimmed to the exact measure on all sides. Some of the huge foundation stones were 15 feet long and some were 12 feet long. The blocks of high quality stone used in the walls were also cut to measure and the cedar beams were also used the walls of the great courtyard were built so that there was one layer of cedar beam between every three layers of finished stone just like the walls of the inner courtyard of the lord's temple with its entry room but i want you to notice one difference there's no talk of everything being overlaid with gold he took god's house And he made God's house the most beautiful thing in his life. Now, in the early days of Solomon's walk with God, God was very real to him. Later on, well, at the end, he got back right with God. We know as we read the last chapter of of Proverbs. But I, I find it fascinating that he wanted God's house to be far more beautiful than his house. All the floors and the walls and the ceilings were overlaid with pure gold. Solomon showed his heart when he put God's house first in his life. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship now. Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? (laughs) And Stephan said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of the Lord appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And God said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot length, but promised, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Now notice, God made a promise. God made a promise. I'll give this to you. You're living here, but later I'll give it to you. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. This is Egypt. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said the Lord. And after that, they come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Ah, these stories are beautiful. Jealous of Joseph. When people get jealous of you, they try to destroy you. And rescued him out of all his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. So God rescued him. I like that. Number two, God gave him favor. Number three, God gave him wisdom. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. That's important, 75. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And when they carried him back to Shechem and laid him in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor of Shechem. But as the time for the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Ah, how to recognize a promise about to be fulfilled. Now that's a beautiful truth. The people increased and multiplied. When you see God about to fulfill promises, you'll see God begin to multiply and bless and prosper. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son and moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds okay so he was trained he was trained to lead this is how god arranged his life when he was 40 years old it came into his heart to visit his brothers the children of israel And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. (laughs) They did not understand leadership calling. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Um, God. <laughs> Have you ever wondered, How did this man feel later? when Moses led the people of Israel. You ever ask yourself that question? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile of the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, all right, so Moses is now 80 years old. Talk about gray-haired and still bearing fruit. When 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look, and there came the voice of the Lord. Now, let me just back up, and I want you to notice three sets of 40s. This is always significant in Jewish literature. Three sets of 40s. 40 years old, and he flees. 40 years passes, and he begins to lead the people of Israel. Forty years later, he dies outside of the land of Israel at the end of their 40 years of wilderness wandering. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Notice I am, not I was. Not I was, I am. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them, and now I will send you to Egypt. So God sees the needs of the people, God hears the cries of the people, and God comes down to deliver with a man. Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to understand the reason God places leadership in your life is because he sees your affliction. He hears your cry of groaning and he comes to deliver you. So he sends a leader. He sends a man or a woman of God into your life. He sends them to your life to provide leadership. Now, as pastors, we feel very humbled by that because, you know, Forgive me, but good pastors, we we don't ever feel worthy of it. We don't ever feel capable of it. I mean, there's this, if God doesn't do something, nothing's going to happen. You know, it's, it's this total dependency. I've never figured out these guys that they got it all together. You just go, ugh. But it's a very humbling thing for a pastor or a pastor to recognize. I've been sent to help God's people. I've been sent to help God's people. Moses wasn't sent to build his vision. Moses was sent to help God's people. All right, little bit of Proverbs for some wisdom today before we close out. Proverbs chapter 28, beginning with verse 9. If one turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Wow. New Living says God detests the prayer of a person who ignores the law. Wow. So, you ignore the word. God looks at your prayers as an abomination. Wow. I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, you, you, you think that I can ignore his word and I don't have to do anything that God says. And that God's going to answer my prayer. Even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit. Now, here's a great promise. This is a great promise. One of the things I see today of these young preachers who are often false prophets and old preachers who are often false prophets is the people that they mislead. They mislead the upright. You see, they want credibility. So These people say, why do they mislead the upright? Because they need the validity that being surrounded by the upright brings. So they mislead the upright into an evil way. And God said, they're going to fall into their own pit. He said, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. NIV says, but the honest will inherit good things. I like that. You look at the rebels today. You look at the faults today. You look at the... uh, We won't even get into what we look at in the world today. But you realize, if I'll just be honest, I'll inherit good things. God will bring good things into my life. Now, now please, some of you need to get a hold of that because you've been misled and then you, you... But if you will just be honest, God will bring good things into your life. A rich man is wise in his own eyes. But a poor man who has understanding will find him out. A poor person with discernment can see right through them. You know, I learned that many years ago. A rich guy, he doesn't think he has to answer to anybody. But a poor man can see right through him. (laughs) When the righteous triumph, there's great glory. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves. NIV or NLT says when the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. I've seen this. I've seen this in my short life. I've seen wicked people come into positions of authority in church and good people go into hiding. I've seen wicked people come into positions in businesses and government and good people go into hiding. But brothers and sisters, when the godly succeed, everyone is glad. Beloved, look for God to give you success. And just just keep that promise. But the honest will inherit good things. Just, just keep this in your heart. Keep this in heart. And when it comes to this mis- mean mislead, <laughs> this is a big beware. This is a big beware. Beware of people trying to mislead you down an evil path and just be honest and you'll hear good things amen all right we'll see you tonight get into the we're going to have something very special tonight we're not going to teach romans we're just going to have a night of worship and what i want you to do is tune in with your whole family and i want you just to worship and drink of the spirit tonight and just let the holy ghost fill your home tonight so we're going to do something a little different tonight. We just want a beautiful Holy Ghost night. And that comes by worshiping God and habits the praises of his people. So we'll see you at 7 o'clock tonight.